0: Welcome to Multiple Offers, a real estate show with competing perspectives. Today, we are talking about how to sell in a buyer's market. Put that coffee down.
1: If you're good at something, never do it for free. How'd you get the gig? Oh, you know, they were hiring. It was only a two-week course.
0: I will sell this house today. What are you, some kind of real estate agent?
1: Oh, he's a realtor. There is a difference
0: somehow. This is multiple offers, a real estate show. All right, I was gonna say guys, but it's just <laughs> it's just you and me here, Matt. All right, Matt, it's we, episode you fifty. Say, you can say guys
1: referring to our
0: listeners. Our listeners, hey are guys. The guys. I've always thought the guys were you and Jer. Oh, but you're right. <laughs> I think the guys may be the guys and gals who are who are listening. That's how very astute of you. <laughs> Uh, we are missing Jer today. I'm sitting in his chair. I'm feeling a little bit taller. Um, yeah, and we've we've got quite a show for you guys today. We're going to be talking about how to sell in a buyer's market. Matt's going to have some news for us. Then uh, after that, we've got a story and some questions. And uh, before we get into that, though, what's what's going on,
1: Matt? Well, Jer's not here today, and I don't know exactly why he's not here. I will say I woke up today and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm really feeling it. Okay. I'm a, I'm a little slow. And yeah, then, so I'm home with my wife. And I was like, oh, I'm not really feeling it, but I got to get ready for the show. She's like, I can feel it for you. Hang on. We could have had Liz <laughs> on the show. <laughs> yeah. So just so you know, in the future, you, Liz is a welcome guest. Well, that's what I was saying. I was yeah. like, we've talked about this. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. Let's, let's have Liz having on Having spouses sure. on, whatever it is, having somebody on who's not an industry expert. Could we do a whole episode where it's just all of our spouses and we're not there? So
0: so I said that to her. Oh really? And
1: she was all in.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> the real
0: housewives of New Westminster. Just a replacement episode. episode
1: of them being like our husbands think they're funny and they're not. <laughs> this is what they say. <laughs> this is what real estate's really like. Yeah. They forget to bring home the milk. <laughs> <laughs> they think all their real estate conversations are fun and exciting. <laughs> and they're not. We go to parties and they're just talking about showings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and like Liz has an actually exciting job.
1: Yeah, she's got a cool job.
0: Like guitar store, way cooler than yeah. realtor.
1: We do joke though, Liz and I sound really cool on paper. Yeah, we're not.
0: I can attest to that. (laughs) Uh,
1: Actually, I'm gonna say maybe
0: you're not. Your wife is pretty fun. Like
1: when she gets going. Whenever your wife comes out,
0: she's into it. Yeah, it's a pretty good time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Liz is a lot of fun.
1: She's she definitely is a very effective enabler.
0: And I think you guys are sort of like. Yin and Yang to yeah. each other. You compliment each other nicely,
1: definitely. Yeah, that's what works out really good in our relationship. But we say we're cool on paper because she's like I own a guitar shop, but she's not like a cool like rocker, right? She played bass in a jazz band. <laughs> oh, did she really? <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't like rock out, right? Gotcha. You know, and she likes playing classical guitar and that kind of stuff, and it's all interesting. But like when people come in and want to buy electric guitars, she's like, oh, I'm gonna need a consult from. Oh, she of, goes to an expert. Others, some for of the other that. staff, yeah. You know. This is our expert cool guy. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, and for her and I, like, we we go to bed early, we wake up early, but like, oh well, we've got our our cabin out in the woods and we ride like ATVs and dirt bikes. And it sounds really yeah, cool. Yeah, you're not cool at but all. We not, but is... we're not. <laughs> <laughs> we're like like, no, but we we're kind of careful, so like we don't drive that fast.
0: <laughs> I feel like maybe you've stigmatized yourself, like somewhere. Grade two Matt was told by some bully that he's not cool. And, and I, I think maybe you just are cool, Matt. <laughs> like, and you just
1: don't know it. <laughs> I'm open to feedback, I suppose. Yeah? Feedback at MOREalEstateShow.com. <laughs> oh, the trolls are coming now. Yeah. How about you, Jeff? How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good.
0: I, I had a conversation with somebody that I was like, oh, I'm having an okay day. And they're like, either you're having a great day, Or it's a terrible day. And I'm like, I don't really believe that. But now whenever somebody asks me, I'm like, oh, I better not say I'm doing okay. Like, I get all (laughs) weird about it. Um, I had a weird... So for our listeners who don't know, um, there's like a realtor, essentially, text messaging system where you can click on a listing and send a message directly to the realtor. Uh, It's mostly used for setting up showings because it gives you all sorts of back-end tools that's cool. But I've got clients right now who have an 80-pound dog. And are looking for a condo.
1: Matt, why is that difficult? Yeah, even for condos that allow dogs, a lot of them have a a weight restriction or a size restriction. And what a lot of them are 40 or 50 pounds. Yeah. So you you really limit yourself to a small number of stratas that are going to accommodate your pet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's either a weight or a lot of them have like a 20 inches to the shoulder restriction. And you're
1: like, no, just get a basset hound, be 100 pounds. Yeah. (laughs) It's just low to the ground.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He holds his weight low. Um, but the one of the issues that I think should be a requirement in MLS is very rarely do people put what the actual pet restrictions are. They'll say in the MLS listing there's a pet restriction, right? But then you have to call the agent and find and out you fish what it for is. It. And so all the buildings that are potentially um, usable for these clients, I've been sending messages out to the realtors trying to make a definitive list of who allows eighty pound dogs. Right. And one of the buildings in town. I got a oh no no dogs over forty pounds and I'm like oh, okay don't worry about it he's like you're not gonna show it I'm like well they've got a dog that's eighty pounds so no no and he sends me a message back in writing through TouchBase well you know rules were meant to be broken great advice what like and and you're you're putting that in writing as a professional realtor who is
1: liable for what you say like I think, I think this is one of those like hey I'm going to show off to my seller like look how hard I'm trying. I guess so,
0: but it it was just one of those things like I just read the touch base and I'm like what? It's one thing for you to kind of say it to another person which you probably shouldn't be doing anyway. But if I'm going to advise somebody to break a strata rule, are you going to Put that in right? Why? Why would you write that down? Well, it won't
1: hurt him or her. Yeah. It can't hurt them. They're telling you to be an idiot. I guess so. Because they're telling you to tell your client to break the rules. Yeah. He's he's hoping to peer pressure
0: me. He's hoping I also don't think I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, I hope this agent sees me as a rebel. Yeah. What a yeah. And he's moron. just like, no,
1: just go ahead and break the rules. Like, so what? Yeah. Like, yeah, bring your client in. Why, why are you letting this stop you? Yeah. He's just like, oh, my God, I need someone to buy my listing. Listings are so hard to sell right now. Nobody's shown it in weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I need something. I got to tell my sellers I'm trying. Right? But that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. No one's going to just let you get away with having an 80-pound dog. I know.
0: It's not like... Like, sometimes, and I'm not advising this, sometimes a strata will only allow you to have one cat. Oh, yeah, we all do that. And if you have two cats...
1: Your chances of getting caught are probably pretty low. I've said this on the show before. Just try to get cats that are kind of matching colors. Yeah. But an 80-pound <laughs> dog? You're not hiding. Like, like <laughs> you know what's weird, though? There is one strata in the U.S. that has a no pets allowed bylaw. Yeah. And they have tons of pets in the building. Yeah. And their their philosophy is like, well, we just kind of turn a blind eye. Yeah. And I knew a couple owners in the building, and they said, Well, and I said, You're really hurting your values because if you just allowed pets, more people would be able to come in and buy and it will help your building. So they actually tried an AGM, two AGMs, two consecutive AGMs to change the bylaw. And the philosophy from the people in charge was, well, because it's not allowed, people are really careful and discreet about all their pets oh, that we like, know they like have. Oh, like they're <laughs>
0: taking good care. Yeah. Uh, that, wow. <laughs> That's some next level thinking.
1: But I mean, of course, you can't buy it if you already own a dog. You're like, well, I'm not going to take this right. chance. You're telling me this is how it goes, but I don't live there. I haven't experienced yeah. it. That's not a good idea. All right, let's get newsy. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. I got a news flash for you, Walter Cronkite. I am enlightened. Do it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. This is Multiple Offers, a real estate show. Okay, this news is Ontario real estate news, Ooh. but I thought it was interesting because a lot of Ontario uh, practices kind of overlap with what we're doing here because the Toronto area gets a lot of the similar type of activity that we do. Okay. So I'm going to introduce the story, uh, but the the headline is, oh, look at the wrong story open now. What's happening here? Oh, there it is. It was a sub headline. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot harder making this show happen with only two of us. I'm feeling the pressure, too,
0: because I'm like, we didn't talk about the news beforehand. I have no idea what you're going to say. And normally, if I have nothing to say... You well, can say nothing. Chair's there.
1: But now, no matter what, I have to have an opinion. You must respond, Jeff. Yeah. Or I can just dictate the news. You just get him leave right if now. If I have anything to say, I'm just going to flip the table. <laughs> Good luck. It's a heavy yeah. table. <laughs> Challenge. <laughs> Okay, okay. Ontario realtors advise Ford government to end bully offers.
0: Interesting. Isn't that an interesting headline? So for our listeners, if you don't know what a bully offer is, um, and I bought my house with a bully offer, <laughs> when the market was really hot, a lot of times, and this actually leads into our main topic quite nicely today, um, when, the, when the market was hot, it was kind of standard practice to have the listing be on the market for a week but not look at offers till maybe the Monday or Tuesday, the following week, because you didn't know yeah. how big of a multiple offer you could get unless you gave everybody. And I think a, a lot of our listeners
1: it. are familiar with that sort of protocol, totally.
0: right? So a bully offer is a tactic that was developed uh, to combat this for buyers who were getting frustrated. And what you would do is you would try to write an offer before the looking at offer date. Because technically, the seller still had to have all offers presented to them.
1: Yeah, our regulations say yeah. that if a, if an offer is presented to the agent for the seller, it must be presented to the seller. Yes. Even though the plan was to wait another even three days. Even though the plan
0: is, even if it's in the contract, you still, as the listing agent, have to show the offer to the seller. All offers must be presented. On top of that, a seller, because it's their property, has the right to change the game plan. Sure. So... The bully offer tactic was you would try to, in your best Goodfellas godfather attempt, write an offer the seller couldn't refuse. So you were trying to give them a no subjects, well, usually no subjects, way over asking price, something that they weren't sure they'd be able to get the next if they waited. And often the tactic was to try and sell like, hey, but, you know, the reason I'm writing this now is I've got another place I'm going to write on, so I'm going to be gone. As a buyer before
1: Yeah, or even if it's another four or five days until offer presentation date, it's just the simplicity of taking something now. And sellers don't expect that they would ever say yes to that until it's there on the table in front of them and they go, This has been really stressful and really hard. And I'm really tempted to take this.
0: Yeah. And and bully is kind of a weird I think it's
1: a great term for
0: it. Because you're 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 bullying the time waiting clause. But most times, sellers don't feel bullied. Like, usually when a seller takes it, it's because they're like, wow, this feels too good to be true. Yeah. And, wow, I, I sign this and I'm done? And, I, like, my, my sellers or my buyers, when I bought my townhouse, were very happy to take the offer that I brought to them. Um, although their listing agent hadn't heard the term bully offer before. <laughs> and somebody was like, hey, I heard Jeff bullied you. And he's like, Jeff didn't bully me. <laughs> and we're like, no, no, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the, the typical practice, right? So the bully offer, and obviously it's been introduced and reasonably effective in the Ontario market. right? And, and the reason why they're saying they want to do it is they say it gives some home buyers an unfair advantage. That's the language they're using. Which I guess is true. Some home buyers have an unfair
0: advantage in a multiple offer.
1: Yeah, they all do. It's all about you know tactics. If strategy. you can write
0: unconditional and the other people can't, that is an unfair. That advantage. is an unfair advantage.
1: Yeah, so it's a bit of a strange terminology. To, to ask them to ban it just to me says that the agents don't feel strong enough to stand up to a bully offer.
0: Well, and it's weird. I don't know the Ontario rules, but there are rules. Like so, so the the evolution went as follows waiting on offers to create multiple offers. And then to adapt to that, the bully offer was created. But then to adapt to that, there was a new rule which was put in place, which was (laughs) if anybody had expressed interest in the home, you had to call those agents before the bully offer was presented, and you still do have to give them time to respond. So the tactic once bully offers started happening was a good buyer's agent, if that home might work for their buyers, was calling the listing agent right away saying, Keep me in the loop. Yes. And getting it on record. And and that's to me, that's the proper way to combat a bully offer. I don't know about banning it altogether.
1: Yeah, it sounds a bit maybe overreaching. It's hard. I mean, they haven't made a decision on it. What I'm reading out of here is the Ontario Real Estate Association has made twenty eight recommendations to the government of how they'd like to see their rules actually tightened. Are they going through what we went through? In a sense, yeah, but the government isn't imposing it it feels so much as the real estate association feels that Oh, they're getting ahead of it. Yeah, their process mm-hmm. I think they understand is flawed. Whereas, you know, we just continue to manipulate our our process right. to work with the market, right? And of course it, it got more and more difficult with things like bully offers and, and other situations. So they've made 28 recommendations, some of them being they want to have a stronger authority to just kick out an agent from the board who's unethical. I love it. Yeah, a number of things. Yeah. So so they, they seem to be pretty proactive, probably seeing what we've gone through here. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that was really interesting that they want to ban it altogether.
0: It feels like it's maybe trying to solve yesterday's problem.
1: Well, we do keep running into that. that, Is that a thing? It's already slowed down in the GTA, just like it has here. Yeah. You know what?
0: I've heard Ottawa is still hot, but that the rest of Ontario is dead, dead, dead.
1: Yeah, which I think is on par with the rest of the country, right? Yeah. You know, so, yeah, these competitive offers, seller's market, there's no seller's market right now, it's a buyer's market. Right. That's what the show is today. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think that leads us in where we'll talk more about all of, you know, seller's market or sorry, I'm sorry, buyer's market scenarios in our main discussion. But all of these rules they just keep coming up with are speaking to old practices. Yes. That eventually will come back into play. We will start getting multiples again, and we'll have to start playing along with some sort of rules. But we've even introduced it where we have a new form that has to be signed by the seller that's instructions on offers. Mm -hmm. So the instructions used to be verbal. It's, oh, we're going to wait a week for offers. Now they want to see that on a very specific form that's been created to say, let's put it in writing. Right. You know, the other thing actually is in here is Ontario is saying they want greater transparency on the multiple offers. They want to actually see the other offers,
0: at the time of, like, the other buyers can yeah, see.
1: Yeah, they want to be able to, to put everything in front of everybody, which I think goes too far. It, it erodes a lot of opportunity. I mean, as a buyer, you would love that. As a seller,
0: I don't know how you'd feel. That. Well, it's
1: problematic when you're not getting unconditional offers. Because if it's a conditional offer, and you look at that, and you go, oh, well, I made the highest offer, and you find out that your offer was 40000 more than the other one. Yeah. Well, now you're just going to pull the plug. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair to the seller, because a situation was created where they... Right, they, they lose their,
0: their multiple offer because you can kind of price check.
1: Yeah, and you'd be like, yeah. oh, I only wanted to pay 5000 more than the highest one. But then the other guy down there is like, well, no, I'll push mine up now, right? And it essentially just turns into an auction.
0: I think if it went that route, you have to actually do an auction. There, there are auction. some real estate markets who that's how they handle multiple offers. And is if you they, want transparency,
1: that's fine. But yeah. that, now that auction then gets confusing because you've got different terms in the contract beyond price. You know, and then you can't just sit there and keep going one, two, one, two, up, 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 up.
0: I think to properly run an auction, you would have to have unconditional offers. Like you would have to do it kind of the way they do it with foreclosures, where it's like, no, no, we give everybody a week, have your inspection, get your financing in order. Here's the auction date, and you have to come in subject free. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't work in this market, there's not enough demand.
1: No, and we've considered that before even, where I said, well, let's give them four days to do all their conditions and actually yeah. do that, and then it's easier to write an unconditional offer. But then the people who can just write an unconditional offer say, well, just let me do it up front. It's easier on your seller. They don't have to go through the stress. And the seller says, yeah, I don't want the stress. Just let me pick the easiest, best one. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, the sellers actually want to be able to just get that winning offer. It's when they're close, right? I, I agree, though. I mean,
0: more transparency in general is good. You can go too far to the point where you're hurting the seller's position. And I, I think that's, you got to be looking out, like right now we're really worried about buyers because we're coming out of a hot market where it was really hard to buy. But if this buyer's market continues, we're going to start worrying about sellers and we need to not put rules in place now that when things are bad,
1: hurt sellers' positions It makes even their worse. position even worse. Yeah, yeah, we can't write rules for this only that apply to the strongest market. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well that takes us, I think, into our main topic. So let's talk about buying... No. Selling, I'm going to say this backwards all show. Selling in a buyer's market.
0: Now you want to get nuts? Come on! Let's get nuts. You decide your own level of involvement. Well, I guess this is a case where we'll have to agree to disagree. I don't agree to that.
1: Neither do I. Jeb is so wrong. He said no. Wrong. Jeb is so wrong.
0: That's that is so up. wrong. Down the wrong. national debt. Wrong. wrong. Advocate. Wrong. wrong with that money. He lost one. Wrong.
1: Very nice words, but happens to be wrong. You're listening to Multiple Offers, a real estate show.
0: So by now you've figured out that we're going to be discussing how to sell in a buyer's market. And just before we get into our main topic today, I just want to mention that. Next week, we're going to be having a very special guest. We're having Michael Thorne, a realtor from Langley uh, in, And Michael is an expert in marketing to a very specific community. And if you're a realtor... Uh, Basically, anywhere in North America, you've probably heard of Michael Thorne. He teaches and does some of the best video marketing that's out there. So if you guys want to make sure you catch that episode, make sure to subscribe on whatever uh, platform you're listening to us to. But let's get into our topic today, how to sell in a buyer's market. So first off, Matt, what is a buyer's market? It's when it's good for buyers. It's when it's good for buyers. Yeah. How do we know when it's good for buyers?
1: So some people like to look at it for, from specific numbers. I tend to just feel it's gut feel because sometimes I think those numbers are, are off, right? But they, they talk about a percentage of sell-through rate, right? Yeah. And we've talked about this before, right? How, how many properties are being sold in a month, the absorption rate of the market? And was it 20%? They say if it's less than 20%.
0: No, you've had your, your numbers skewed by how crazy it is. 20% is actually the, the seller's market number. Anything, and this, is, this speaks to your point, 100%. So anything over 20% is supposed to be a seller's market.
1: Yeah, that's what I was saying. I said under 20% is buyer's market.
0: No, it, oh. under like, under, I think it's 10 or 12. Oh, so there's is, like a gray area. Th- yeah, there's a middle where they consider it a balanced oh, ba- oh, market. Oh, there's
1: such thing as a balanced yeah, market? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, it never stays there for very long, <laughs> oh, right? Oh, okay. But, but Matt makes a really good point. We're coming from a high 90s sell-through rate. When we hit 40% and 30%, I think we were already in a buyer's market. It was just Yeah, the, still the philosophy, plummeting. the
1: behavior of yeah. everybody in the marketplace was certainly the buyers had the advantage. And really, that's yeah. all that matters, regardless of sell-through rate. It's when you go to make an offer.
0: Who, who's got the power? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we are definitely in a position where I would say in the majority of the lower mainland, either the buyer has the power or it's a balanced market where I don't, I'm not seeing any areas overall where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is still like sellers in control.
1: No, not at all. And that's why buyers are so slow, methodical, careful right now in the marketplace. And because they have the privilege to do that. Yeah. They know that a property they like could potentially still be there a week or two from now. They don't need to queue up, line up and and make one of six offers, yeah. you know, a week later. Uh, but does that mean, if it's a buyer's market, that every buyer is going to get a good deal, that every property is going to drop? No, Matt, <laughs> it does not. <laughs> I think that's the biggest mix- misconception if people hear this. I, I want uh, That's why I wanted to get it out of the table first. Yeah. Right? Is don't get the idea that everything is going to be a good deal. I think the thing that stands out to me most with that is the best properties, the one that you've defined as the best fit for you and your family, is going to be the same for everybody else.
0: Well, and we're still seeing some multiple offers happening. Like when somebody comes out with a smoking stupid price, it still goes into multiple offers.
1: Or even just a fair price, but it's the right property that checks the boxes. I go to the example of a friend of of Jeff, friend of the New West guys, Michael Sheldrake. Yes. Had a listing in the West End of New West. He was asking $1.2 million. I looked at it. I go, look at that house. It's got the bedrooms in the right place. It's finished. Everything's kind of mechanically sound. It's got the right layout. It's nothing over the top and fancy, so it's not deserving of a huge price tag. Yeah. He was asking $1.2 million. I was like, that's really fair. That's the right house for a lot of families. And what happened? He got multiple offers and sold it for forty thousand over asking. Right. You know, and people would look at that and go, "Really?" Because some other house that's so close to it Mm -hmm. might only get one point one million. Yeah. Because if you check all the right boxes, people are still willing to fight for it. Because in buyer's market, people still want to buy; they're just a lot less interested in making a compromise. That's how I look at it.
0: Yeah, and I think too, you something really strange happens in a buyer's market. Where if you're at certain price points, and that house you were talking about for Mike is one of them, where somebody was wanting to get into a house maybe a couple years ago and they got priced out, and now the prices are falling, and all of a sudden they can get a house again, there's some excitement there, right? Like, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the market to fall, and finally it's fallen, and this one works for my family. And, of course, what you said, it also works for a bunch of other people's <laughs> families who have also been waiting. Like, I think the, the homes that are priced at kind of the price-out points, like the entry-level stuff, seems that's where you're most likely, I think, to be fighting. The people who have been kind of sitting on the fence and waiting to get in, there's a lot of those people. And a lot yeah. of those people are excited because they can afford to buy again.
1: Yep. Yeah, and I think exactly that. If, it, if it's a really good fit for one person, it's a really good fit for a few others. Yeah. Right? And then and then that goes to my next point that if there are compromises there, if you notice it, other people are going to notice it. If you're a seller with a home that's got a big compromise. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to notice it, and they're going to overinflate the significance of it,
0: hmm. whatever
1: that compromise is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it's, they think you're maybe on a slightly busy street or a really busy street or just something that, or the view, right? We talked about this last episode, right? You got a condo, this one has like a really good view and this one has a mediocre view and they'll go, oh, the mediocre view, that must be, you know, that's not it. That's not good enough for me. If I'm buying a condo in a a down buyer's market, I'm going to buy the one with the best view. I'm not going to buy the one with the mediocre or bad view.
0: Yeah. And and mentioning last episode is probably a good time to mention um, how to sell in a, um, a buyer's market. Pricing is very, very important. We're probably not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about pricing probably right shouldn't. now, though, <laughs> because if you want to have that conversation, we we spent a whole episode, last episode, go back and listen to, what did we end up calling it? I don't know. It's Choosing the Asking choosing Price. Choosing the Asking Price, <laughs> one of our more inspired <laughs> titles. <laughs> but, but yeah, go back and listen to that one, because we we went pretty in-depth on that portion of this topic already.
1: Yeah, but I still, I think that theme makes sense of, I, always for me in a buyer's market, it's where there's a compromise. That's where yeah. values uh, take a heavier hit. And yeah. that's where there's a good opportunity to get a deal. If people are listening, like, well, if there's a buyer's market and I'm a buyer, like, how do I get a deal? Well, go buy a really nice two bedroom with like an okay view. Right. You know, yeah. you, you know. or or buy that house that maybe has a little bit of a compromise. Now where, where it completely drops off is if it's the house on the busy street, in a buyer's market, those almost just don't sell.
0: It is so hard to sell busy. People will buy busy streets like crazy on a seller's market all day long. And they are so difficult. I would be very cautious of of buying onto a busy street. Well, And
1: I almost feel like, again, trying to to go back to the pricing episode, but even if you had like a bargain basement price that was like... even buyers would just be like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. And sellers don't want to go there. They're like, oh, I'm not going that low. Right. Never mind. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely do better than this price. It yeah. just needs to be in a different market. So they tend to just not move at all. So
0: Yeah, I mean, if I'm a seller and I'm on a busy street, something to consider is a, unless I need to, maybe this market is not optimal.
1: Yeah, because on a, in a relative scale, you're going to take a heavier You're going to take a
0: bigger hit. Like a lot of people, the conversation is like, yeah, you're taking a hit, but what you bought took a hit too, so it all works out in the wash. If you're buying from a busy street onto a quiet street, it doesn't all come out in the wash, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it, yeah.
1: So uh, that's kind of where I was thinking as far as what is a buyer's market, what is the behavior like, where are the opportunities for deals? Um, so there's maybe not so much room to negotiate on the really good stuff, I've yeah. noticed. We, we've even seen multiples. Yes. Like, the good product comes on. It sells in multiples over asking, like we talked about, condos and houses. So, the room to negotiate is on the mediocre product, Mm -hmm. and then the bad product just doesn't even get offers. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, then, what kind of offers should be expected in a buyer's market, then? What should we be expecting for... for yeah, if you're the seller and you're listening to this, and you're yeah. okay, it's a buyer's market. So, what kind of offers am I going to get? Am I going to get an offer that's twenty percent below asking price, and they're asking for all my furniture, and you know, a six month close or whatever it is? Like, how does it skew from going from unconditional? You tell me the dates you want, seller. We'll make it really easy. How do we? Where are we sliding to with the offers in a buyer's market? I think one thing a seller needs to
0: be prepared for is that the buyer isn't nearly as concerned about hurting their feelings with the initial <laughs> offer. Like, there, there's often a big gap, and a lot of times those buyers are willing to close that gap. Like, the negotiations are much bigger, but in a, in a seller's market, a lot of times we'll have the conversation of, what's the lowest I can start without pissing the seller off so he doesn't want to just wait. Just kick you out the door. And kick you out the door, and another offer will come. That fear is gone now. And even if they're willing to pay
1: close to your asking price, they might just try. They're gonna start pretty far. They're off. not too worried about pissing you <laughs> off. <laughs> and that's the the power you have yeah. as a buyer in a buyer's market. You're holding the cards in that sense, right? So you can start with the low price. Yeah. Even too low though, like 20% would be going too far, right? I think on most properties, 20% would be a a very large gap. But a seller should... Now, a seller could expect a pretty wide variety of of prices on their offer, and that depends on how they price their home. If their asking price was in line with today's fair price or not, expectations can be quite different. But I think what they should expect is an offer with all of the normal conditions and a reasonable amount of time to satisfy those conditions. Yeah. So nobody's passing up on getting their financing checked out. You know, and you're going to have likely a home inspection on almost all of them and, and all of the other little sort of conditions that go with that to give buyers peace of mind. And they're going to ask for a week or more. Yeah, I'm noticing that big time right now is that for buyers, they want that time to do their due diligence, and a lot of sellers or maybe their agents are less accommodating. They're like, what's up with the, the eight-day subject removal? Yeah, and you're like,
0: did you forget that 10 days on a condo was totally normal before we went nuts? Yeah. There's a weird disconnect, though, because before the market got crazy, one of the reasons you needed 10 days was you needed time to read the strata docs. I'm finding agents are still asking for strata docs beforehand because that's what we did in the hot market <laughs> was we read the strata docs before we wrote the offer so we could write subject free. So you're sending the docs out, but then you're still getting an offer that is subject, subject to reviewing the to reviewing the docs. Yeah. Which, I mean, there's nothing you can do. As a seller, that's just what you have to put up with. You don't have the leverage to say, no, I already sent you the docs. You no, need to take No, and,
1: and frankly, out. I still want... The buyer should have control and shouldn't be spending money frivolous, frivolously in this type of market. So they should have, in my opinion, five business days to satisfy financing. Yeah, right? I think that's reasonable. Let your lender check it out. It takes a couple of days. Send in your appraisal. Get the appraisal report. Know that that's all cool. And then spend your money on the inspection. You know, yes. We talked about this before on inspection episodes. You want to have a day or two after your inspection to make sure you can digest, have any conversations that may be needed. So that pretty easily turns into 10 days. Yeah. And so a seller should expect that. I'm a little bit frustrated on the buyer's end right now that I'm hearing back, you know, hey, what's up with the eight, nine, 10 days? Make it five. Right. You know, why, why are you pushing this agenda? You know, you've been on the market for two and a half months, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, you can give me 10 days. To look into this, But, of course, the reason why sellers don't want long subject periods is what if someone else comes along? Right.
0: <laughs> well, and that's a fair thing, too,
1: right? Like, one of the negotiating points is
0: how long. And I think as a seller, you shouldn't be afraid in this market to say, hey, you know what? Two-week subject removal, can we shorten that down to a week and a half? I had one that came in that asked for a month, but it turned out it was a typo. Although he made the typo in every field, like every single subject. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it was weird. But when I when I was like, uh, you need a month? Because we're definitely not taking this off the market
1: for a month unless you put a time clause where we can bump you. We can bump you, yeah. I've had buyers yeah. communicate that to me a few times, though, in the last six months. Yeah. Where they say, oh, yeah, no, but if I make an offer on this, I'd need all of these conditions Like trying to tell me how it's going to go. Right. And then I'm going to need a month for conditions and then a few other things. And I go like... Where all of a sudden did you think you have so much leverage? Like, because because some people really think they can yeah. just come in and just get whatever they want. Like, no, give me a month for conditions. I'll offer you know one hundred and fifty thousand under asking, yeah. and uh, yeah, the and market if, swings, and all of a sudden every <laughs> buyer is he man, right? Like, I have the power. <laughs> like. So so sellers should expect a sort of a normal subject period. Yeah, uh, maybe a, a opening offer price that's a bit. Tough to digest. Yeah. But there's room to, di- to talk there, right? You just got to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, dates, nobody's coming to you necessarily and saying, like, absolutely give me the sellers, like, match the exact date the seller wants.
0: Yeah. There's not a whole lot of rent backs happening anymore.
1: <laughs> that kind of stuff. And then what about subject to sale?
0: Subject to sale is a legitimate way to buy a house now. It's yeah. It's still difficult because, like you said, if, you l- if this is the one you picked and they were willing to sell it to you at a price that was fair there's probably a good chance you might get bumped during that time. So for our listeners, if you don't know, when you write a subject-to-sale offer, usually you usually have a 48-hour or 72-hour clause, which just says if the seller accepts another offer during that time, they can activate those, that time clause, and you have that amount of time to either bow out or remove your, your clause. But that way you're protected. You, you don't have to yeah. buy it. Um, so, I mean, I'm seeing subjects-to-sales still getting bumped, but I think people are willing to look at subject-to-sale now It's definitely something to consider, which is nice. It hasn't been that way for a very long time.
1: Yeah. So if a seller is listening to this, they should hear that could be a normal part of the offer when I get that. And so the seller has to understand you're giving up a lot in a buyer's market. You're giving up where you go, no, I'd really like to just know that my place is sold. It's like, well, no, unfortunately, you're going to have to wait around for a month and find out if it works out, if they can sell their property on the other end. Yeah, you know, less, A lot less certainty in the marketplace, right? And so sellers have to accept that that's, that's what comes with it. But that is a way to get a deal done.
0: One thing, too, I, I got into this with an agent from Vancouver uh, a few weeks ago. Do you think having a subject to sale hurts your ability to sell the property to someone else as a listing agent?
1: So philosophically, I don't think it does. Yeah. I certainly don't think it should. Yeah. Some agents, for some reason, they hear subject to sale and they go, I'm not even going to bother showing it. Yeah. Now, that's their decision. And I don't get it. I don't get it either. So the person who's maybe said to you, oh, it does hurt your ability to sell their property is kind of right. Yeah. And for that reason, I don't tell people there's a subject to sale. Mm. some people get mad when they find out after the fact, but just after years and years of experience of people who think they don't want to show it because it's subject to sale, I'm doing what's best for my seller, Yeah, come to the showing, fall in love with the house, and I will tell you there's a subject to sale.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's a little infuriating, but I see where you're coming from. And and you, you want the showings, right? I get really mad if there's a subject offer that I can't bump, and they haven't told me. Oh, big time. Like... That's like flip the table, I'm having a temper tantrum. <laughs> in, that happened to me last year. My my lady drove out all the way from Vancouver to look at one home in Burnaby. She loved it. She's like, we're going to write an offer. And he's like, oh, sorry, blah, 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 blah.
1: Yeah, subject removal is uh, 10 days from now.
0: And uh, huh? and I, I was like, you didn't think to tell me that when I booked it? And he's like, you wouldn't have shown it then. And my lady's like a little old lady. like.
1: No, I wouldn't have shown it and I'm not going to buy it now because yeah. you've got an offer on it. <laughs> yeah, Jerk. Yeah. I can't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a difference with the bumping clause and the subject of sale, right? Now yeah. I will I will say, because we do have a lot of agents who are listeners who are like, Matt, I don't like you. You should tell me there's a there's a subject of sale on it. Some of them will feel that way, Matt. I know. I, I like that you took a stand. <laughs> I, that is not a hard and fast rule. I will I will tell certain agents. Like if you came to me, I would tell you. Because I know I can trust that you will make a normal judgment call, and if you should show it or not, I show
0: subject to sale all the time. Yeah, I've got, I, I, almost every subject to sale, if you bump it, will, like I, I'd say, eighty percent of the time that I bump a subject to sale offer, they don't remove. I mean, the stars really have to align for them to be able to, like they. Yeah, I yeah, and all—it's worth
1: the chance. Absolutely, it is. So, uh, but if you're an agent who doesn't know me and you want to call and show my listing, and, and yeah. you might just be like, "Don't worry, if it's going to sell, you could ask, and I'll tell you. If you ask, I'll tell you the truth." Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but like if it's agents I know who are who are good, trusted professionals in the industry, of course I'll tell them. Right, because I know a trusted professional has normal logic.
0: Right, we can't <laughs> necessarily say that about. Every single person.
1: Yeah. So that's anyway. Okay. Subject to sales, though, definitely uh, be prepared that that's a part of the process right now.
0: One thing I think people should be very cautious of is pricing for the multiple. Oh, big risk. And and you can tell when agents have tried to do this. If you're looking at MLS, and you see that somebody came on at like four ninety nine, and then a week later rose the price to 550. That was somebody who tried last and year's tactic. In a hot market, this is a very legitimate reason way to sell your home and whether you like it or not, it's a tactic that works and you might get more money. In a slow market, the problem is just because you're underpriced doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get that multiple offer. If your home doesn't have something unique, like what Matt was talking about, it may still take a little while. And if you don't get offers in the first week, and you raise your price, everybody, like, it is very hard to negotiate from a position of, wait, these crazy people want
1: $50,000 more than the price it didn't sell at? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you asked 499 nine nine. you didn't sell. Yeah. Why am I going to give you anything over five hundred? And anybody who comes to the table
0: is going to negotiate with you like you were priced at four ninety nine. Still, even though you rose your price, because they can all see it.
1: Yeah. Is so there anything else that like, obviously was working in a strong market that just isn't going to work in a buyer's market?
0: Um, I think the the major one in my mind is is underpricing. Underpricing. Yeah. Yeah. The I mean the other one actually is is overpricing is, I think, riskier in a buyer's market.
1: I thought we were going to send people back to the ask the, the how to choose your
0: price episode. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about how to actually pick the price, <laughs> but just know that you really do have a Goldilocks yeah. problem. Yeah. Porridge can't be too cold and it can't be too hot because, like we said in the last episode, they're putting in their search criteria. They're just not even going to see it.
1: Yeah. And, and even if you get your price bang on, don't, yeah. don't expect a quick sale.
0: This is very important. I've heard your partner in crime, Jer, saying this a lot lately, and and it's really important. The people aren't necessarily going to make quick decisions. They come into the open house the first weekend. Maybe their agent even calls you and says, hey, my buyer's like, do you got any offers? You're like, not yet. It's yours if you want it. And then you don't hear anything. Because what they might be doing is thinking, well, can I find something better? And they're going out and they're looking at other places. They've still got your place in mind. Yep but they're not feeling a whole lot of pressure to pull the trigger right away because somebody else is going to snatch it up.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it yeah. may be a month before they even come in and see you because they might see your listing hit MLS yes. and just say, well, you know, I'm just kind of busy this week. I'll go see oh. ne-
0: it next week. That's something I'm getting with my buyers that I haven't heard <laughs> in a long time. Like, hey, this listing came up. It's exactly what you're looking for. Cool, let's go see it in a week and a half. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I mean... I'm showing one tonight that that was the comment, so it didn't hurt him in any way. But it mentally, it's hard
1: to adjust. It used to be like, well, I need to see it in the next 48 hours. Yeah, or can we get
0: in now? Yeah, we <laughs> have to. Because yeah.
1: what if it's the one? I don't want to miss it. And Now people are just like, yeah, you know. Yeah, it'll you know, and if it's not there, there'll be another one. You know, so yeah, there's, there's just a lot of different philosophies with that, right? So I keep coming back though. If you're a seller in a buyer's market and Of course, you've got the good product. So they've heard us say this a few times on the show now today. Well, if you're the good one, you're still going to sell for a good price. Yes. Is there anything they can do to be a good one? Or are you kind of at the mercy of, did you have the good view? or you on the good street? Or whatever that might be. I think it's a
0: lot of the mercy. Because one thing I don't think we've talked about yet is I think renovations get undervalued in a... um, in a buyer's market? In a buyer's market. I think, um, or maybe renovations get overvalued in a seller's market. I don't know which, <laughs> which is which, but but your renos multiply your price by a much higher number in a seller's market than they do in a buyer's market. I, I have a beautifully renovated uh, condo for sale right now that people just aren't willing to pay for the cost of the work. And it's sad because these people did not do this to flip. These people did it because they loved it. And they, it's some of the best work I've ever seen. And you know, people come in and they're like, eh, yeah. it's nice, yeah. but I'm not willing to pay the price
1: for it. Yeah, I've seen that too, definitely. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's less uh, value given to the improvements. So right?
0: I would be very cautious of trying to turn yours into the unique one. The unique things, when you say you're the special one, like in my mind... Um, that loft in Morano with the beautiful deck that went into multiple offers like a week or a week yep. or two ago. That's something special. But that's because that's a cool building and it has something that's scarce in that building. Like, it's got a really killer deck. You can't... Part of what makes it unique is you can't just go out and do it. You can't take a normal (laughs) Murano one and be like, I'm going to make a bigger deck.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yes. Things that you, like you said, you can't change, right? So, and that goes to the detached side when I talk about that house that got multiple offers. Yes. You know, you can't just move a third bedroom upstairs. Right. It has to start with the three bedrooms above, and then it has to have two full bathrooms, not one. And then the basement height has to be sufficient that you can do something with the basement. Yeah. And not be ducking and diving to move around. Those are the fundamentals. And if your house doesn't have that, you're normal and you're not unique. Would Would you say you maybe have a little
0: bit more room in a house than a condo to make some of those improvements? Like, if, if you didn't have a main floor bathroom, like some of these old 100-year-old houses, that might be a good thing to put in a powder room or what are your thoughts there? Well,
1: I agree with the concept, but the house that's going to fit the price point that's getting that love right now. Yeah. doesn't have a big enough footprint to do that. Right. You go to, you you want to change the bathroom setup. Well, now you've given up essential space. Otherwise that was needed for a kitchen or dining or living room.
0: Yeah. It's not like those houses. It's rare that there's one that it works out. Like every once in a while you see one like there's one I can think of. Which, unfortunately, is on a busy street, <laughs> but, but totally just had this weird little space where you're like, there should be a bathroom there. You can't really use this space for anything else. But, yeah, you're right. Most of the time.
1: If we're just talking starter home, yeah, right? And then totally. the ones that push into 1.3 yeah. north, they have a bigger footprint. And then there's more options to say, well, I got a little extra square footage I can start to manipulate. Take from here to add right. the pieces that the marketplace wants. Yes. And then you do that, and now, yeah, your house is 1.5 instead of 1.3 because yeah. you... And now there are no buyers because nobody's <laughs> buying the high-end stuff. <laughs> yeah. And with condo... Well, there you go. So what about condos, right? Condo, if you yeah. you got the wrong view, if you have a floor plan that's dysfunctional, yep. you can't change that. You can't change the floor plan. So if you happen to have the one that is that floor plan that everybody wants... Yeah. Or the uh, fundamental things on the key, like you can offer up two parking spaces instead of one. Right. Nice. Really high density areas where parking is difficult. You know, those are going to be things that makes you unique. That's so interesting, too. I always think about the fact that the difference in
0: pricing of a parking spot down at the key versus Ginger Drive, <laughs> like like where your extra parking spot is matters so much
1: definitely and and I'll say that on the key too we sold a property uh, not too long ago that was riverfront like right on the boardwalk yeah and that is a unique scarce opportunity in this particular building like you said at the lofts right that one most of them don't have a big deck yeah most of these don't actually land right on the boardwalk and have a completely expansive view right, right? so those are the ones that get the attention mm-hmm. so let's move into the mediocre segment then Okay. So that's, that's how you're unique. You maybe can't manufacture that. So you're in the mediocre segment and you need to manufacture something to get more attention because there's a lot of competition. Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit in other episodes, but uh, what does that mean for a seller in a buyer's market then? Maybe a couple of things they should focus on. We talked about this about prepping the listing, right? Or is that we did that two episodes ago, selling in a spring market.
0: Well, I, I think staging matters way more in a down market than in a seller's market, like in in a seller's market, the problem you're trying to solve is can we sell this for the absolute maximum dollar value? Yeah. And in a buyer's market, the problem you're trying to solve is can we sell this? Full stop. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> so staging, all of the. Go back and listen to the episodes where we've talked about staging because that stuff is really important.
1: And that kind of also in the photography episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. For sure. I think marketing really, really matters in a, in a buyer's market. You know, you, I know you guys are not this type, but there's, there are a lot of agents who feel like their job is done once they've gotten it on MLS. And I think in a buyer's market, like let's say, just to put a number on it, in any market, you need about 20 people to come through a home before somebody writes an offer. Um, that's my sort of rough number, 20, yeah, 20 Historically,
1: that's yeah. pretty accurate.
0: In a, in a buyer's market, that number goes up. So if you want to sell your home in a timely fashion, you need more eyeballs. You, you need to ramp up the marketing efforts to make sure more and more people are actually seeing the home. Um, because it's going to take way more people to, to find that right one. You can't kind of just sit back and trust the MLS.
1: Definitely. Um, so, to amping up the marketing makes a big big difference. Staging, uh, this is where things get weird. Yeah. Staging is expensive. Yeah. If you're going to hire a staging company to actually come in and bring in furniture, and you're going to pay rental fees, because in a slower market, you don't necessarily, you've got very low guarantee you're going to sell it in a month. I, I
0: am not a fan all the stagers out there are going to hate me, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, am, I think it's very high risk, especially if your numbers are really tight, of paying a rental fee. I think having somebody come in and give you ideas on what to do, I think you're almost better to go and buy some furniture. I've been working with a stager recently who's been um, shopping for people instead of renting.
1: Which makes a ton of sense to me. That's what we're doing for our clients. We essentially bring in extra accents, trinkets, things to enhance the listing. Yeah. And we provide sometimes a piece of furniture here or there for like a vacant bedroom. Yeah. We bring in a bed. Yeah. Right? An inflatable bed. Yeah. We we get put in a mattress frame with an inflatable mattress. people have
0: a really hard time. Like, people's spatial awareness is way worse than you would assume. Like... Vacant room, my bed will never fit
1: in there. They all say it. (laughs) And every seller says, oh, it's fine. It looks huge when it's empty. You're like, what kind of goggles do we wear (laughs) when we're buyers versus (laughs) sellers, right? Totally. (laughs) So you definitely need that perspective, right? So I think staging goes a long way, but the risk is you're going to spend four grand on staging. Yeah, We've already talked about, you have to bring your asking price right down here. Like you're eroding your value. So it's like, okay, what I'm telling you, uh, seller is uh, you're going to get less money for your home. It's going to take longer to sell. And I'm going to need you to put up four grand for staging. Yeah. Because we can't put up four grand for staging. We don't even know if we're going to sell this place. Right? Yeah. There, there isn't enough in it for us. Yeah. And that's where I think there's a really interesting evolution possibly coming to our business. And this is the first time I've introduced it publicly. Mm-hmm. Is if this continues where there are incredibly high expectations for us as agents. right? Yeah. We are expected to do a lot of top-end marketing, it's not just put it on MLS. Mm-hmm. Professional photos, floor plans, potentially staging, uh, marketing videos. Yep. There's a lot. There's a lot of investment that goes into it. And I'm curious if we reach a point where if you have a lot of listings that are hard to sell, what if the seller just put up a $1,000 cash? says, I'm going to pay for these. I will pay for these activities to happen. I'll pay for the photos, pay for the floor plan, pay for all this stuff. But now the seller owns it. Mm, interesting. And as a reward for that, you reduce their commission fee by maybe $2,000. Because you're saying, Mr. Seller, you're taking some of the risk away from me Mm where I'm going to pay money and I may get no revenue to pay it back. Yeah. So they're taking some of the risk away from you. But when this sells, you're going to have a reward where you're going to pay less to me for putting the money up up front.
0: I mean, it makes sense in theory. Part part of why commissions are high is because the person working, and in any industry, not just real estate, is because the person earning the commission is taking a lot of risk. That That's part of why... Agreed. I think a yeah. lot of that
1: risk, though, is is time worked for free. Yes. Oh, yeah. Versus money spent Yeah. with no yeah. revenue coming in.
0: Traditionally, we are moving into a stage where, and I think as technology changes, uh, The realtor's job is becoming a few different things. It's becoming trusted advisor, neighborhood expert, which we're going to talk about next episode, and marketer. And on the marketing side of things, marketing takes money. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and if
1: we're moving into a, a world where marketing videos are going to become the norm, and yeah. I believe we're going there, yeah. some people have a, a, a background skill set like you do to create a much higher quality product than other agents. And I just think that we're going into a world where every agent shouldn't be expected to be a movie producer right, and a movie star. yeah. Th- there should be a way to, to contract that out. But mm-hmm. it, when the bills start to get so high is there a mechanism here where the seller can say, sure, well, I'll put up $1,000 if you right. drop my commission by this much. And if the seller owns that material and chooses, hey, Jeff, you know, it didn't work out, I'm taking it off the market, but now they've got all this material. Right. They can use it for you or they another agent. They can use it with the next, next agent time they around. work with. It's a very interesting problem. Um, it's yeah. just, I just feel that the, the, the business evolving, right? As we talk about you know, yeah. spending marketing money, yeah. spending marketing money, asking the seller to spend $4,000 on staging. Right. You know, like there's a lot of money to put up front, Totally, and the whole pr- purpose of why this came up is that you've got a, a, a mediocre listing, a, a, a common property, and you need it to stand out. Yeah, you know, I find a lot of agents right now because the market has been tough are actually doing a, a worse job marketing. Well, that's because the they have thing. less money. Yeah,
0: they have less money, and they're scared they're not going to sell it, so they're not willing to take the risk. Yeah, and they're doing a worse job, even though the market requires that they need to do a better job. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you brought up video. One of the things I really believe, and it doesn't have to be video, although in my business, video is the effective way of getting it out there. You need to find a way to yell and scream about your listing and show it to people outside of just MLS. And I know, Matt, you guys do a ton of Google advertising. Uh, I am do a lot through Facebook. Um, you need to find ways that you can point people to the listing. You need eyeballs. You need people to see it on a regular basis. And if an agent isn't willing to spend money, then you're just going to get lost on the MLS right now. Like, there is so much there.
1: Yeah, what a weird trap, though, right? You know, the market gets harder. Yeah. We have less money. Yeah. And then we need to spend more money to sell a listing, but we may never sell it. So there's the fear that, well, if we don't sell it, I mean... But... In a depression, Coca-Cola doesn't stop advertising. Absolutely. The expectation right. is we keep advertising, <laughs> like, for yeah. sure, right? But I think sellers should be very aware of this. Yes. Right? If they're listing right now, I mean, that's the whole point, right? I mean, we do keep spending. Jeremy and I keep spending, but we're, we're not selling at the same percentage oh, yeah. as we used to. Yep, right? 100%. So we're selling fewer listings, and we're spending money on more listings that don't sell. It's a yep. terrible business model. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's how commission sales works. Right right? You know, it's just, it's the nature of the business. But anyway, sellers need to keep that in mind that you've got to find a way to, to stand out, make your home great, get eyeballs on it, right? Package it all together and, and, and find the whole package. It's got to be there.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's teamwork. Like, like you said, like it's the seller's job to make the inside of the home look amazing. And then it's the realtor's job to make sure enough people see how amazing you've made it look yeah. that they come and see. And I guess if
1: there's any one takeaway I could say for the seller then is, is be open to spending more money at, at yourself, yeah. right? Just like, oh, if you have some advice, like maybe I should add a piece of furniture or yeah. I should pay to get this painted when in an old previous market, you know, a five-year-old paint job you could probably get away with. Yeah. You know, Yet, no, pay someone to come in and repaint this. You know, spend some money. Be ready to spend some money on your home.
0: I've I've probably said it before, but I think paint is the best bang for your buck.
1: You definitely said it on the show before, but yeah. I, I can't say what episode you got me on that yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, like painting's really worthwhile. Yep. A fresh coat of paint really, really. But, but don't makes try the
1: to show. like do it yourself either. Like I know some oh. people can, but but just just pay someone. Like honestly, just put the money up, and if it's not yep. on paint, like somewhere. But be prepared yep. to spend some money, invest in your home because you're going to be selling it for almost everyone listening to this is going to sell their home for north of five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. You can easily make $10,000, 20000 $40,000 by spending a few thousand. And the
0: buyer's not just going to buy any $500,000 home anymore. They want to buy a good one.
1: Yeah. 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 So I think that kind of closes the idea for me on uh, buying in a seller's market. I did it again. In buying? Selling in a buyer's market. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that's backwards. It's completely backwards, but I keep thinking it's because the buyers have control, so I keep right. wanting to say yeah, buyer yeah, first. Yeah. Anyway, you are selling in a buyer's market, and uh, we're going to move on to story time. Jer's got a, Jer's got a story for us. <laughs> I am <laughs> Jer's, Jer's not here, man. Oh. <laughs> it's story time with Jer.
0: Great story. Compelling and rich. It's not always my story? No, it's not always your story. Damn. What if Matt has an awesome story to tell? Well, he can tell it to me or write it down, and I will (laughs) paraphrase. This is Multiple Offers, a real estate show.
1: Well, Jer's definitely not doing the story this episode.
0: No, well, I'll just wait, Jer. So, I've got a little horror story from years back, and if you're listening to this now, it's probably too late. But in this market that's shifting, it really <laughs> reminds me of uh, when the market adjusted
1: the last time. You're talking about the, the 08 adjustment or the in the middle one? Because <coughs> there was a middle one. I'm talking about the 08 okay. adjustment.
0: And so in 06, when I started, every realtor in the office was telling you, hey, when you get a little money, you want to take that money... You want to invest it in a pre-sale condo. You're never going to complete on it. (laughs) Right when they allow you to assign the flip, you're going to sell it, and you're going to make huge money, and it's the best investment ever. And uh, for those of you who maybe don't know the jargon, pre-sales go on sale when they're just an idea. You can buy it. Typically, if the market's going up, they're worth more. You're not allowed to sell your contract until a certain date when the developer gives you permission. But at that point, when the developer usually had sold out, they'd say, okay, anybody can sell their contract. And a ton of people would sell their contract to make profit. And they never actually completed. So there was no...
1: Sure, I'll let you finish. But most contracts and pre-sales now don't allow you to do that without paying a massive fee to the developer.
0: There are fees to the developers
1: now. That erodes a lot of your profit. Just so that people listening don't be like, ooh, I'm going to go make lots of money.
0: Yes. Yes, The developers got wise. Yeah, assigning before
1: (laughs) completion, you typically pay a fee to the developer.
0: Anyway, carry on. But uh, even if they didn't have that, this is a little bit of uh, risk on that. So I never got into this. Not because I didn't, but because I was a brand new realtor and I was so overwhelmed with learning how to be a realtor, this seemed like one more crazy thing. But guys in the office did it like crazy. And they'd take their money when they made money off of it, and they'd do it again. And there was one guy, Trevor, in the office who bought one, flipped it, took that money, bought two, flipped them, took that money, bought four, flipped that. I believe he got to eight. (laughs) And then the market crashed.
1: And he's holding all eight
0: he was holding eight and I remember doing an open house with him, right as the market was crashing and we were both sitting in the lobby waiting for buyers and no buyers came because the market (laughs) was crashing and we sat there for two hours and I thought he was going to cry like and finally I was like what is happening and he told me about this and and um we're in it already now but whenever the market turns like this I always think about Trevor in that moment and later cuz this will turn the market will get good again remember that it'll always turn back like we've got this weird feeling like it's very natural for a market to go up and to go down and if you're if you're buying don't go all in go go with a good like invest in real <laughs> estate i think it's the best investment in the world but don't invest your real estate profits in more real, like...
1: Well, extending yourself to the point that you can't finance it if things go wrong. Yeah, you always got to look at what if, what if this turns? Yeah. Because it will at some point. It's always going to. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, the, there's the good is always coming and the bad is always coming. Yes. Right, so that's good advice. <laughs> Would have been way better advice six
0: months ago. But <laughs> yeah, but, it,
1: but it's a good story. You know, you don't want to get caught holding the bag. Yes. Because people do get a little a little greedy, right? They're like, totally. easy money. There is no such thing as easy money. Yeah. Easy money comes with risk. Definitely. If you can time it right, then it sounds pretty easy. All right, I got a question for you, Jeff. Check out the big brain on bread.
0: How's it working out for you? What? Being clever.
1: Who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. You're listening to Multiple Offers, a real estate show. So, as we've been preparing to get our listings looking just right to go on the market, mm-hmm. I got this question from a seller who's getting ready. Okay. So, I thought this would be a good question to pose uh, to the group. All,
0: <laughs> all of us here today.
1: <laughs> we miss you, Jer. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this will relate to a lot of sellers. We hear this one a lot. So, Kay. hey, hey, Jeff, I know my home, in the eyes of every buyer, needs new flooring. It's mm-hmm. a two-bedroom condo. It's got old carpeting. Okay. That's a... Huge pain to move all my furniture and make the decision on the flooring and get somebody in here. Can't we just credit the cost of the new flooring to the buyer? Would that be a good way to do it instead?
0: Okay, so give give me some context. Is the floor terrible?
1: It's obvious that every buyer is going to replace it. Okay. It's an old carpet. It's not gross. It's functional. But it's carpeting and it's tired. Yeah. So virtually every buyer is going to look at that and say, oh, this needs some new flooring.
0: And am I at a what am i what, what kind of entry level are we talking about like who is this a first time buyer place this, this
1: this particular property is a two bedroom condo that is built in the 90s so it's going to fit in the mid to high 500s okay
0: A lot of competition in that i would say that you have two choices what did did we price it out what's it going to cost to uh, let's
1: just say it costs 8 grand
0: costs 8 grand okay So I think I would recommend that you do the floor for the eight grand or underprice the home by like 30. (laughs) (laughs) That's the answer, folks. (laughs) Can I just reflect
1: it in my price? Sure you can. You can, but it's got to be more... (laughs) Yeah, you you drop your price by 10 grand. No one's going to say, oh, that $10,000 difference is, you know, you put the exact two condos for sale in the building. Yeah. One on top of the other. Yeah. They're not buying the one with Old flooring for yeah. ten thousand less. They're just not. No, they they'll they'll want a deal because they got to put
0: in work and time and
1: time work and that ten grand. They don't have ten grand cash extra when you reduce your price by ten grand.
0: Well, th- this is why I was asking about where we are, like who,
1: right? What segment are we talking wise. to? Because
0: this isn't necessarily the true. Like that answer could be different. There is a buyer who wants something where they can sink a ton of money into. But they always want to get it for a good price. That's the whole point. They, yep. Yeah.
1: Well, and that t- tends to be higher end too. Yes. Right? Because those buyers can say, well, I mean, yeah, I've got $50,000 for a down payment. Yeah. And I have another 50000 to spend on improvements. Totally. Yep. Right? Uh, so there's that part of it. And then I think the home just stages and sells a whole lot better when the flooring is done. Yeah. Right? Now, the, the dilemma that the seller has always is, well, what about like choosing colors? What if the color I choose doesn't suit them and all the rest of it? And I go, you're, you're entirely right. Some people will look at this and say, it's not sort of the color I'd pick. Now, try to go neutral. Don't do anything too crazy. Yeah. Um, and we talked about that. But as a general statement, like, no. It, logically, you'd say, well, just let them pick their own flooring. But it doesn't work out.
0: No, it, it makes total sense. Like, in a perfect world, you should be able to do the new developer thing where you've just got, like,
1: <laughs> a couple examples. Samples. And you're
0: <laughs> like, I can do this floor, or this floor, or this floor. But uh, people just don't. Don't see it.
1: They don't see it. They don't get nearly as excited. Yeah. We need to push some of those buttons emotionally. Yeah. So you got to do the work.
0: Would you ever not do the work? Like, what if you had a seller who couldn't afford to do the work, but when they sell could? Would you ever credit, like, hey, we'll you get to pick a floor?
1: I'd be happy to put that in the contract. Yeah. yeah. And and probably maybe have some samples and be like yeah. you choose this floor, here's a quote from a reputable contractor, they'll do the work, you choose it we'll put it in the contract. Yeah. We'll write it specifically that this contractor will install this many square feet of flooring. Right. Yeah. You know, sure you could put that in a contract. That makes a ton of sense contractually. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work emotionally. No,
0: it doesn't. So it's it, not as good. <laughs> so it's a middle
1: ground that maybe helps. Yeah. You know, but you still have to get those people in the door. Yeah. And then you've got to sell this idea to them, which is foreign, even to their agent. Their agent's like, oh, I'm scared of this because it's not something I'm familiar with. Well, I'm a little scared of that stuff too, not
0: just because I'm not familiar with it, but because I... like We've probably talked about this on the show. I would way rather get a... Once we're negotiating, I want a credit for work. I don't want you to do the work because I don't trust the other party to do the work to the level... Yeah, yeah they're doing it just to <laughs>
1: cut and run. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a different expectation there. So I think there's a common question. Yeah. And I think it's a pretty common it's answer. It's a good question. Yeah. 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 That does it for the show today, Jeff.
0: That's it. We made it.
1: We <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> the uh,
0: yeah, thank you guys for listening to the show. If you have any questions, you can send them to feedback at morealestateshow.com. And if you want to get a hold of Matt or Jer...
1: You can't get a hold of Jer. He's not here.
0: Jer's not here, man. Um, But if you want to get a hold of them, they are at thenewwestguys.com. And if you want to get a hold of me, Jeff McLennan, I'm at realestatenewwest.com. Come back next week where we're going to talk about community specialists. And I feel like... Oh, uh, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you, you can't get even your... do reviews
1: anywhere but iTunes. So even if you don't use iTunes, go there and leave us a review. Thanks, guys. Can you not do a? I don't use Google. No, you can't review podcasts like anywhere but iTunes. So, 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 give us a review on iTunes. <laughs> 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 yeah, thanks, guys. Quick little follow-up, Jeff. Do you remember at the end of, uh, I think it was episode 48, I mentioned I had been invited to sit on a board?
0: Yes. Board
1: of directors. And you guys said, tell me what's going on. Tell me right. what happened. Tell me what happened, right? So I thought I said, I don't know if as realtors we have a good skill set for this. Yeah. Uh, it's in the mental health field. Right. Uh, I don't know if I'm really a good fit because I don't have any sort of personal passion for the subject. So yeah. I'm not really sure what's going on. So I called up the person who had asked me to sit on the board. And I said, I just gave her exactly those concerns. I said, I just, I don't know if I'm a really good fit for you. And she said, well, what we're looking for is we have a lot of people on the board who are accountants and lawyers and have extensive experience in the mental health field. We're missing someone who just has a good general business sense and experience. We just want sort of a business mind to look at it through a different lens. Your Lord business. Something to that effect. Okay. And she said, we, as a, as a society, they have real estate holdings. Mm-hmm. So they own detached homes for group homes. They own an apartment building. And we want someone to advise there on just, you know, maintaining infrastructure, acquisition, disposition of those assets. Okay. So she says, I thought you would be a good fit. And I'm like, oh, well, you know what? That starts to make more sense now. Right. Maybe I do sound like a good fit. So you're going to do it? So I said, sure, I will. I, I think I can definitely make an impact the way you're asking me to. So if you, if you think I'm a good fit, you know me and I certainly trust you. So I'm, I'm happy to be a part of this. I asked a couple more questions. I didn't want to get yeah. into something that was a massive investment in right. time because that's just, I don't think I could do that, right. that, that job justice. Yeah. If you have, if I need to read a two hundred page report every time I'm going in to vote, but she mm-hmm. says no, it's like a four page summary. It's not a big deal. Okay. You're not. It's not like being on city council where you have to read right. massive stacks of papers. So I said, okay, well that that fits. I can do that. She says, cool. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna have the CEO talk to you. They'll speak with you, and uh, that'll go. So then the CEO called me and talked to me. Start mm-hmm. and I sort of gave her the same explanation, and she was just sad. Sad. <laughs> yeah. Why was she sad? She
0: just seemed really unimpressed. With you, yeah. She's like, yeah, you're right. You're not a good.
1: She kept asking questions, and I was like, look, I'm really honest and upfront. This is how I work. Yeah, <laughs> be totally frank with you. You guys I, came to me. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm a realtor. Like, you know, she's well. A lot of our people have like history and mental health. And I said, yeah, I know. I don't. <laughs> this is why they thought it'd be a good fit. Okay. And and usually they have some sort of like passion for wanting to make an impact in this area. And I'm like, well, I don't. But it also means I don't have an agenda or an inherent bias because I felt some family member was hard done by, right. by the system. I just, but if I get invested in something, I'm going to do the best job I can to make a positive impact. But honestly, I don't know much about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's a good thing. So did you not get the job? So she's hearing this and everything I say, she just kind of goes, Oh, Hmm. I wonder how you were sold. Like what was she expecting? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So it was just a lot of, Oh, okay. And at the end she said, well, do you still want to go ahead? <laughs> and I said, I said to her, well, if you don't think I'm a good fit, that's okay. You will not hurt my feelings because I didn't come to you. <laughs> <laughs> She says, okay, because it's quite common, usually the people on our board really have like a reason why they want to make a difference right. in this area. So that's that's okay. Says, so can you just send us a little more information about yourself then? If you want to go ahead and I'll present it to the executive. Like she's basically
0: saying give me a reason.
1: I, I guess so. She says, we always ask people to give us sort of an explanation as to where and why they want to make an impact in the mental health area, but that isn't really your thing. So that's okay. Just say it's because you've been asked. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then can you send us a resume? And I was like, I just told you I've been a realtor for 10 years. I don't have a resume. <laughs> <laughs> I can send you a market evaluation. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to have a resume. <laughs> yeah. This is it. Yeah. She said, oh, like we just need some sort of, you know, professional, uh, Biography or history or something, so people can learn about like who you are if they decide. And I was like, Oh, well, I mean, I wasn't really signing up to like campaign or sell myself on this idea.
0: It's an interesting proposal to reach out to you to ask you to win the business. Like, yeah. hey, Matt, we think you might be good for trying to become this thing.
1: And it's normal that a board of directors is elected. Yeah. Depending on the organization. Right. Sometimes it's hard to get directors. Yeah. Um but it's like, okay, I mean they want to know I'm a good fit, that's cool. But I really feel like Anyway, I, I really appreciate the person who recommended me. Yeah. I think she actually has a really good understanding of who I am and how I work. Yeah, I think this person's looking for a little more of a bleeding heart, and I am I am not. I would not <laughs> describe you as a bleeding heart <laughs> at all. Very pragmatic. Yeah. Very to the point, And I'm happy to bring the best that I can to this board. But at the end, I was like, I haven't sent her the resume yet. My plan is actually I'm going to send her an email that says, I wasn't really getting the vibe that you think I'm a good fit.
0: Yeah, that doesn't. I don't. I'd be cautious <laughs> of putting a whole lot of work into that because, I mean, if they want you, great. But it, I don't know. It doesn't sound like.
1: No, <laughs> no. it was a weird one. I was trying to stretch myself, you know, contribute yeah. more to the community, do something different, provide yeah. some benefit, and they're like, "Are you really going to help us?" Yeah, I was like, oh, "Okay, all right, never all right. mind."